Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Mum Talk, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum from pregnancy to life with a baby, now toddler, sharing all the highs and all the lows. Not only am I joined by incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in mum talk to be honest real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments wherever you may be thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation nourish is a well-being app created by mums for mums offering bite-sized calm and well-being at your fingertips The app is an on-demand library of meditations, videos and quick reads across mindfulness, yoga nidra, psychology and much more, all tailored to the emotions and challenges we face as mums. It's a support team of well-being experts in your pocket who are all mums themselves who get it. Try Nourish to de-stress, restore and reboot and find more love, joy and calm in the chaos and pressures of modern mum life. Nourish was named App of the Day by Apple and is free to download and explore on iOS and Android. Check it out at thenourishapp.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk Series 9, Episode 3. And this week I am joined by Amanda Thompson, co-founder of Bundle London and Antenatal Teacher. Amanda is a qualified antenatal teacher, having gained her qualification with the NCT. She is also a baby massage instructor and has supported new parents for over 12 years. Being a mother of five herself, made up of two sets of twins and one in the middle, now all in their teens, she completely understands how challenging and wonderful parenthood can be. Amanda's passion stems from struggling in the early days with loneliness, feelings of being out of control and trying to sift through reams of conflicting information. Today, Amanda shares with us her personal experience, especially with two sets of twins and professional expertise of those newborn early days. We go on to talk about caring for your baby, newborn sleep, baby massage and touch on breastfeeding and when to seek help. So as a mum yourself, um, did, did that start your passion for becoming an antenatal teacher? It did, actually. I, I had, um, in the births I've had, I had um, sort of different experiences. And um, I found that um, the early days were quite isolating, particularly mm-hmm. with the first, first lots. And um, it sort of, yes, it, it made me feel that how could I make a difference, if at all possible, um, for parents, for the next generation of parents to be. Mm. Um, and I've always been quite fascinated by birth and hospitals. I know it sounds a funny thing to say. Um, so I probably, if things had been a bit different back in the day, I may have been a midwife. But by the time I sort of retrained to be an antenatal teacher, I had children by then. So I just felt it was a good, a good compromise mm. <laughs> rather than being a midwife. So you have two sets of twins and one in the middle. So tell yes. us a little bit about that. How how close together are they? How was your experience bringing them up? Tell us. Uh, yes. So I've got twin boys. Um, then I've actually got just under three years between each um, each set of uh, children. So I've got twin boys. Then I've got another boy. And if I'm being brutally honest, I really wanted a daughter. Um, mm. My husband was done after three. No, that's it. And I was like, oh, please, can we just try one more time? Um, and um, lo and behold, 
we were pregnant with twins again, which was a bit of a shocker. Um, but we did manage to have one daughter within that. <laughs> she was the last one out, so she kept me waking, waiting. Oh, didn't she? <laughs> she did, yeah. So four boys and a girl. Um, and you, people often sort of deliberate, is it harder being a mum of twins first or of, of twins sort of later on? And I would say it's difficult. It's only my personal experience. But I would say, you know, being a mother for the first time, I found the first set of twins really overwhelming. Hmm. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, obviously, and we did get some help in for a month, uh, which was amazing and worth every penny, just because one of my friends said, please, you know, just get some help in, because at the very least, you've got to get the twins doing things at the same time, otherwise you're just going to be on a conveyor belt of, you know, feed, sleep, feed, not sleeping, nappy changing, hmm. and so I took her advice, and it was the best thing we could do. Um, but obviously a month goes by very quickly as we know and the baby hadn't really changed that much but it was just brilliant to give me the confidence mm. uh, yeah so it was really helpful and by the time I had my second set of twins I had three sort of young children and life had moved on and you know you're sort of less precious you're much more confident and quite frankly anyone who'd come and help used to sort of arrive at the front door and have a baby thrust at them <laughs> <laughs> you know and um and so that's how life was. And I was quite, um, I think I had to be quite routine-led from the get-go. Mm. Um, quite a lot of structure in my house, which actually helped keep us afloat, I think. Um, so it just meant there was quite a routine in the house. And I had an au pair which, who helped me. And we just managed somehow. Amazing. Yeah. It's, it's really tricky to know when to, when to know when to ask for help, isn't it? As a new mum, that was one of the things that I found hardest you know, when I when I was sitting with Amaldine thinking, oh, should I ask for help? Oh, I don't know. Uh, should I be able to do this by myself? It's hard to know when, isn't it? It's so true. I think as a mum, well, the guilt sort of starts as soon as you're pregnant because you think, oh, perhaps I didn't eat properly, perhaps I should have done more of this, more mm-hmm. of that. And then once your baby comes, you know, we sort of set ourselves up to want to do everything by ourselves and we can do everything. But I always say to everyone, if, if you need help, reach out for it because it'll only make you happier more relaxed and a better mum and you know happy mum happy baby and getting help is so important to how you feel about yourself um and it gives you the support to be a better mum so I think if you can reach out be it to family or within the community I know it's harder now with lockdown then get the help that you need um Mm -hmm. yeah it's really important and you mentioned previously in our chat that you found the first you know, few months, very isolating and lonely. Was that just, I mean, I know this sounds like a really silly question, but was that just with your first set of twins or was that with all children? Because I know that even with toddlers running around and small children running around and you're busy, it can still be really lonely time, can't it? Completely. And I think if you're used to, you know, a lot of women have careers or jobs and work right up until almost their due date. And um, when you have a, child or children it's a huge transition I mean mm-hmm. physically and emotionally and you you know you go from being this independent woman with perhaps you know a good career or a job or running your own business to being a, you know a wonderful mother but you can lose a sense of identity you lose a sense of who you were before and it's such a big emotional roller coaster and I think it's really important to talk about these things um, and to acknowledge that there's a big change going on and even if you're surrounded by you know toddlers and children and you're at home 
it can be quite lonely sometimes. You know, there are days as a new mum, particularly, or even as a mum, and you may not see another, I say, grown-up or adult to talk to. Mm. And it can be quite hard just being, I say, stuck in your four walls or in a park with your baby and toddler um, and not really chatting or having that sort of sense of freedom that you had before. Mm. Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that, that there can be a sense of loss sometimes and um, not to beat yourself up about it and not feel guilty. Mm. And I also feel like, you know, sometimes when you're, you're so in the zone, you, you feel like you have a routine, everything's, you know, as under control as it possibly can be with, with a, a new baby or, or five, <laughs> um, that even if someone does come to help, you know, even if it's your partner or your husband or wife, whatever, um, it, it can still be quite difficult because you know where you're at at that point in time. And unless you're amazing at delegating, which I know personally I'm rubbish at delegating, I would just rather do everything myself and just get it done. And then the other person, the partner or the person that's coming to help feels really useless. And that can be a really tricky balance, can't it? That's such a good point. In fact, fun enough, because I had the twins first, I think I was grateful for an extra pair of hands. But mm. actually, I can see that... Um, for, we talk about this in our classes, actually. We talk about, you know, do you want to get into a vicious cycle or a virtual cycle? And what I mean by that is, you know, the partners want to want to get involved. Perhaps they don't do it as much as you do, so they're not quite as good at winding or quick as changing a nappy. And we sort of look at them sort of rather frustratedly and think, oh, I'll just do it myself because we like to be in control. Mm. And then actually what happens is you end up alienating your partner or not letting them perhaps to get involved as much as they would want because you're sort of being more critical and you're just like, I'll just do it, it's easier. Mm. So it is sometimes quite hard to allow people to come in and to help you Mm. um, and to let go. It Uh, is. uh, It is, absolutely. Um, Can you offer any advice, you know, as you're uh, an incredible expert with 12 years teaching um, antenatal classes, can you give mums any advice out there on, uh, you know, how to how to overcome loneliness and feelings of being out of control. And and I know asking for help is a big one, but do you have any other tips? It must be so difficult for new mums right now, especially with lockdown, whether you have a partner or not. It's it's so difficult because there's just something about talking to another mum over a cup of coffee or a few, and, and we just can't really do that right now. It's so hard for them. And we talk about this again. I feel I feel so sorry for new parents who may feel a bit isolated during this um very weird times because they can't have family in, they can't have, you know, do all the sort of coffee mornings, as you say, the baby groups, the lovely baby massage um, groups, which are great fun as well for mums and for babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is much more restricted now. Um, on the positive side of that, I always say an enforced lockdown means that you will spend time bonding and getting to know your baby a bit more. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make you slow down, um, which is good. Because as new mums, we are quite, sometimes quite bad at slowing down and we want to do everything. Um, mm. And actually, it gives us time to recover and get to know our babies a bit better. But again, it can lead to feeling a bit isolated. Um, and I always recommend that if you can get out of your four walls and go for a walk at the very least, at least now we can walk with someone. So pick up a coffee en route and get walking. It always, things always feel so much better once you're outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know perhaps doing more stuff I know it's not quite the same but doing more stuff on Zoom or um, you know having sort of Zoom coffees and a lot of organisations are offering sort of online classes again I really appreciate it's not the same as going to your local community centre or your local sort of little club and mixing with other mums or, or, or parents 
Um, but it is something you can do. Um, but I think picking up the phone and talking to someone and acknowledging that you're feeling a bit lonely and not feeling guilty that you're feeling a bit lonely. Um, there's so much pressure on us to feel that, well, this is a, you know, the best experience of your life. You should enjoy every moment. Well, sometimes it doesn't feel that way. You know, you can feel isolated, lonely. And let's be honest, let's be brutally honest, sometimes looking after a newborn particularly, it can be a bit boring mm. because, you know, they're not really interacting with you. And sleep deprivation, um, you know, is, can play havoc with your mental health at the best of times anyway. Mm. Um, Gosh, yeah. I remember getting home with Amaldine and she was just sleeping and I was like, oh, what am I meant to do? I've spent the last nine months getting everything organised and now I don't know what to do with myself. And it was quite lonely. I remember calling my mum saying, well, should she be sleeping so much? I thought newborns were awake all the time. And I know I'm very lucky. I had a, a very chilled out baby. But it, it, was a new, it was a new path that I had to navigate because I had no idea. <laughs> As, That's so true. Yeah. yeah. And so, you've never done it before and your baby's never done it before. So it is a learning curve. You, know, you wouldn't start a new job know exactly what to do, where the photocopier was, where the printer was, and what was expected of you. You know, mm. you go through an induction process, and I guess having a newborn is a similar thing. You know, um, those first couple of weeks getting to know each other is really important, you mm. know, to close the door and just get to know each other. I completely agree. I've spoken a lot on the podcast about pulling up the drawbridge, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I feel like one of the biggest mistakes I made when you literally just got home from hospital and then I had family requesting wanting to come and I'm one of these people who just doesn't say no so I was like okay yeah fine but don't come for very long but then they end up staying for a few hours and you end up you're the one that ends up making them coffee or tea and clearing up after them and and not you know because maybe they're a different generation or maybe they're busy themselves and they just don't think to help in that way um and it's really tricky, isn't it? It's a really tricky balance to find. And in, I'm speaking about that on the podcast in terms of this baby, in that I know that I definitely do not want to see anybody for a week, two weeks, so I can bond and we can bond as a family of four and Amandine can bond and my husband Hendrik can bond um, and just not have those um, those interactions. But I know, you know, with COVID, it's I'm sure so many mums out there are just wishing they could have them. Um, but COVID aside, it's um, it's quite an interesting topic. What what's your take on that? Um, I completely hear everything you're saying. That I think um, we I would always say try and have those first couple of weeks, as you just said, getting to know each other. If you're breastfeeding, it does take a good two weeks to get breastfeeding established. Mm. And you know if you've got visitors coming and going, you won't necessarily have acknowledge whether your baby's latched on properly. Does your baby indeed feed? actually feed during that feed because you were so busy chatting that perhaps the baby was just having a nice little snuggle and was asleep at the breast um and we know that newborns can't stay awake for that long you know an hour an hour and a half in a newborn's life is is a long time and then they get fractures and over overtired and then your friends leave leaving you with a fractious you know overcooked baby who then won't settle mm. um so as much as it's lovely to have visitors and i completely get that you know just try and limit it maybe to a you know, a couple away visitor a day. Um, and, you know, perhaps your partner um, could, you know, sort of, as you say, bring up the drawbridge and just sort of fend visitors off, a, visitors off a bit so that you're just keeping a slight control over who's coming. Because, you know, also 
you know, in the early days, you've still got quite a lot of adrenaline in your system. So you're feeling quite buzzy. You know, it's all exciting. You've got a new baby. And of course, you want to show your baby off. But, you know, once things settle a bit, you know, you are going to get tired. Mm. Uh, it's really important, you know, to bring in self-care here and look after yourself. Mm. Uh, um, but I completely also understand that it's so lovely seeing friends. So it really is about a balance, actually, and not overdoing it. Mm, completely because a form of self-care could be seeing a friend couldn't it so it is just knowing what's right for you and and listening to your body and listening to your you know what what you need as well as what your baby needs because I I find that we all we often forget about what we need as new mums and new parents rather than just what the baby needs there's so much focus on the baby isn't there so true and you know even as your children you know your baby grows and your children grow up I mean, how many mothers do you know who make a cup of tea and never drink it? I mean, yeah. it's, sort of, it's so typical, you know, we, our children come first, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that's the way it is. But if you're running yourself into the ground, you're not going to be helpful to anyone. So it is really hard to prioritize or not prioritize necessarily, but to ensure that you do look after yourself. And again, it's back to reaching out if you need, do need a bit more support, mm. um, you know. So we've touched we've touched on the early days and looking after us as new mums. Mm-hmm. What do babies need in the early days? Um, babies really just need to be, I say, cuddled and have their their sort of needs met. So actually, a newborn doesn't really require, I say, that much. Of course, <laughs> of course, we were just saying actually, a newborn can take a lot of um, energy from you, but actually, they just need their needs met in terms of being held lots of skin to skin as much as possible, which is wonderful for bonding, to be fed and nurtured, really. And if, again, I would say to mums, if you need a bit more support, that's fine, bring it in, because as long as you've got a loving primary caregiver, your baby will 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 develop and flourish. Mm. So in one respect, it just means that the love and the handling of a newborn can be shared, you know, between you and your partner or, you know, an extra pair of hands. Um they're pretty low maintenance in that sense. Mm, absolutely. Um, and skin to skin wise, I'm always intrigued by this one. We did quite a bit of skin to skin. Well, we did do as much as we felt we could uh, with Amandine. But what does how much skin to skin when when people say as much skin to skin as you can? What does that actually look like? Are we talking whenever we're lying down in bed, skin to skin, or walking around the house, skin to skin? Because of course, you know, if you're having a baby in the middle of winter and your house is cold. There's not going to be much skin to skin going on because you need to keep warm. Um, so what what does that actually look like? Probably sounds like a stupid question. <laughs> not at all. Um, well, skin to skin has huge benefits for um, for the baby particularly, but also for you and really aids in bonding mm. um, and getting your milk, your milk sort of, your breastfeeding established if that's what you're planning to do because you're producing lots of wonderful oxytocin. It can help babies feel calmer by listening to your heartbeat, regulate their blood sugar levels, um, and keep their body temperature more consistent because they can't really regulate their body temperatures when they're newborn. Mm. Um, so skin to skin is a wonderful thing to do. So yes, absolutely, you can do it whilst you're in bed. Obviously, you may want you may choose to keep a nappy on your baby, but apart from that, as long as they are their sort of torso is against yours, you can tuck them down your shirt. Mm. So if you are doing it around the house and you're carrying them in a sling, you could actually just have them, you know, get well actually you've probably got the sling in the way, but you could have them sort of as close to you as possible in your shirt or when you're in your jumper down the front and that would work just as well so you don't want to get obsessed by it mm-hmm. but it's just a wonderful calming thing to do for both of you or for all of you because dads can do it too mm-hmm. um, and I always say to, to mums you know if you particularly straight after birth if you've had 
you know, perhaps um, a more traumatic birth or you're trying to recover from your C-section and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, dads can do it, Mm. you know, great at doing it. So it's a wonderful bonding time. And that's something that you really can do in those first few weeks, as much as you can, really, whenever you feel like it. I don't think there's, um, there's a right or wrong here. No. Sometimes I think Amandine preferred skin to skin with Hendrik because he's so much warmer. He's like a permanent hot water bottle walking <laughs> around. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't mind the hairy chest either, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 2018, when I started the podcast, one of the first things I was kindly sent was an all-in-one kit from Cheeky Wipes. And we have used and purchased more ever since. Cheeky Wipes make washable, reusable baby wipes, makeup removal pads, reusable period protection, and more. As you know, with Amandine, we really have tried to do our part using cloth nappies for a big chunk of time and reusable wipes. We use Cheeky Wipes for bum, hands, and face, white cotton terry cloths for bum, and coloured microfiber cloths for hands and face after every meal. The all-in-one kit has everything you need, whether you are using cloth or disposable nappies. The wipes are great for sensitive skin. Using just water and a few drops of essential oil, you know exactly what you are using on your little one's delicate skin. The kit is so easy to set up, use and wash. We literally pop them in the wash bag and into the washing machine. We honestly find they clean a pooey bum much better than disposable wet wipes. You can find the all-in-one kit and their full range of products at cheekywipes.com and you can do your part for the environment and your wallet, saving over £500 over two years by switching to reusable wipes and nothing is being added to landfill. So let's talk about breastfeeding because we did just touch on the topic briefly there. Um, And I know this is, you know, we could do an entire podcast on breastfeeding alone because it's not, it's not easy. It can be, you know, fairly straightforward, but often or not, it takes a lot of time and effort to get right. How do you know you're doing it right for you? Um, And and when's the time to seek help, would you say? Um, Well, Probably 99% of um, breastfeeding issues are to do with the latch. Mm. So, yes, in the initial days, maybe as you latch your baby on, um, there may be a bit of, ooh, sort of, you know, I don't know, I certainly felt a bit of a sting or a bit of a sensation as the baby went on in the early days. But actually, it shouldn't really hurt. So if you really are someone who is really, you know, struggling during every feed and it's really painful – and um, always feels like sort of razor blades and and it just feels uncomfortable the whole time, then I would definitely get help in because it could just be a simple thing as position. Mm. That aside, um, I would say to parents, because of course you can't see what your baby's feeding and I completely understand that um, in the first um, days or weeks, you think, well, how do I know my baby's feeding optimally? How do I know? Well, your nappy is a really good indicator because what goes in has to come out um so i always say use the nappy you know if you get you know wheeze and poos then you're doing a good job if you get times in between feeds where your baby is settled and contented you're doing a good a good job that your baby is probably feeding optimally Mm. you know if your baby always fractures in between feeds always rooting around perhaps um always never settling perhaps crying more than you know is what I call normal inverted commas. Yeah. Um, you know, um, nappies are drier than you would expect. Um, then I would, you know, then there may be a sign that perhaps your baby does need to feed 
um, perhaps not is not feeding so well. Um, and to be honest with you, I, we always say that if you've got any doubts, far better to reach out to a breastfeeding specialist or lactation consultant in the early days and get any little teething problems ironed out mm-hmm. early because what you don't want to land up with is a dehydrated, dehydrated baby um, yes. and babies can dehydrate relatively quickly. So I'm not here to scaremonger anyone, but it's good to get the support if you feel... <laughs> Sorry. Oh, hello, doggy. Oh, sorry. <laughs> if you feel that perhaps your baby is struggling, reach out, definitely. A few pointers can get everything, you know, up and running really smoothly. Oh, completely. For me, personally, it was just um, the health visitor when she popped round and she actually asked, can I just see you feed? Um, because I had such sore nipples. I didn't feel any pain when baby was latching on, but my nipples were just so cracked, so sore. And we're bleeding a little bit and it just wasn't getting any better. And I was using all the creams. I was doing everything that I should be doing. And she made one tiny little adjustment um, to Amandine and to my shoulders and just basically just made me calm down for a moment and relax. And once I felt that latch, it felt polar opposite. And then my nipples healed and everything was fine. But that's all it took was just the health visitor, just taking a teeny tiny little look. So it really can be so simple, can't it, to, to fix? It really can. And I, you know, sometimes you just need your partner to remind you because um, we get so sort of stuck in the groove and, you know, um, and sort of blinded sometimes by what's in front of us. And sometimes you just need your partner to give you a hug and say, you're doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Let's get some support in, be it the health visitor or a lactation specialist. And, you know, and you can do this because we get blinded by ourselves sometimes and um, and we can't see it, you know. Mm-hmm. So just a calm arm around us telling us we're doing a wonderful job and reaching out for support is brilliant. Mm, absolutely. absolutely so in terms of newborn sleep um this was quite a popular question it was what 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 can you expect from a newborn in terms of sleep <laughs> that's a great question yeah. <laughs> um, well we know we all know that newborns do sleep on average about 16 17 hours out of 24 and that sounds amazing doesn't it mm-hmm. but actually sadly it's in probably two hour little intervals dotted over 24 hours because they don't actually know the difference between night and day mm. and that's something that in time they will begin to to feel and it's something that we can guide them on um they also sleep in different sleep cycles to us we sleep in 90 minute sleep cycles and their sleep cycles are much smaller they sleep in 60 minute sleep cycles and they only go through two stages of sleep um and so and we go through four so it's in the early days we cannot expect them to sleep any differently. And I get asked a lot by parents, but when are they going to do that wonderful four-hour gap, you know, the mm. interval, <laughs> when they can sleep for four hours and their feeds get, you know, the gap between their feeds get longer. Well, that's not for quite a few weeks, unfortunately, because their tummies are the size of a marble. I mean, literally, a newborn's tummy is the size of a marble. And then around about the two, three-week mark, it goes to the size of a hard-boiled egg. So that's quite a significant growth. Mm. But it's quite important to bear that in mind so when you're producing those lovely droplets of colostrum to feed to, to fill your baby's little marble-sized tummy that is enough but that that colostrum will be digested relatively quickly because their tummies are so small and their sleep cycles are small so really in the early days two two hours maybe three between each feed is probably realistic 
Um, and once they settle more and their tummies grow a bit bigger and their sleep cycles start extending, then you're looking at things settling a bit more. Um, but I think if you understand that, you'll go with the flow much more and not fight it and be, and be happy to be baby-led. And you can always do a little bit of shaping from behind. We know that from evidence, um, a good bath time, bedtime routine is a wonderful thing to, in, to include. So if your day's gone a bit pear-shaped and you know, everything's gone out the window and you haven't been able to leave the house, you know, one of those days, then you know, the routine at the end of the day where you can bring everything down, calm things down, is really setting evidence that that can really help just mm. settle your baby for the evening ahead. Um, so it is a time thing um, and consistency reigns overall so if you and your partner can be consistent as your baby settles and their tummy grows and their sleep cycles extend um, if you can be consistent with the messages you give your baby that's one of the best things you can do because all those neural connections will be made and babies will then begin to know what's expected of them and the cues you give your baby that's a repetition they'll begin to click onto that um, and understand that actually, oh, this means bedtime. Yeah, they may protest a bit. They may have a little cry. But actually, ultimately, they know what's coming next, which is, you know, I'm going to be settled in my Moses basket. And and that's what's expected of me. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I know with Amandine, we had um, her down kind of with us most of the time. Um, and I think it was, I can't remember the time that we transitioned her upstairs um to to kind of start that whole and maybe it was I can't remember but around seven o'clock instead of having her downstairs when we'd be watching tv just you know sleeping in her um sleepy head or with us just sleeping on our chest or whatever we then transferred her upstairs put her in her cot and with a baby monitor to start the sleep you know start getting her um sleeping upstairs for a little bit when would you say kind of that transition um would naturally take place or is it really up to parents you know when when you want to take them out of your sight and pop them upstairs or um does that does that kind of help them start their sleep awareness and understanding i think it's a good question i mean as you say that every baby is different and every parent is different Mm. and you've got to do what feels right for you i think when babies settle and you know they're a bit more alert they're a bit more aware of their sort of surroundings and you almost know that time comes. And mm. again, I can only talk about averages here because that's all we can do. I would say from sort of six weeks, you may find that it, you know your baby will be you know, more receptive to settling away from you. I think it's unrealistic expectation in the early days to have your baby settling somewhere else because you say you're li- more than likely to have them on you mm. or on, in a sleepyhead, you know, in, within your vicinity. But probably around the sort of six-week mark when babies are a bit more alert – you know, it's a good time to start. I use the word shape because I think it's quite gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just about shaping things and, you know, calming things down. And after your bedtime, bath time, you know, bedtime, sorry, your bath time routine is a feed and maybe, you know, a little story as they get a bit older. Or even from the early days, they love the sound of your voice mm-hmm. and setting them in a way that you, you do every night. And that then leads to a little bit of that sort of word routine, that sort of loose word routine, it's the beginning of perhaps a routine if that's something that you're looking for. Mm, absolutely. And we know absolutely. that babies and children thrive on routine. Actually, we do as grown-ups, don't we? Yes. <laughs> um, you, know, we you know, we all have our routines, and children are the same as us. And actually, 
in a way, you know, we can preempt, we can tell, we can preempt them getting too overtired um, and preempting that for them. Um, and I would say the biggest skill you can give your baby is to self-soothe and to sleep independently down the line. That's what we all hope for, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's my hope for, certainly, anyway. <laughs> yes, please. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one thing I forgot to ask in terms of feeding, uh, whether you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, I have very, I have zero experience with bottle feeding because we did do breast. Um, on average, if there is an average, and I know that all babies are so very different, but on average, how many times should you be feeding or finding yourself feeding in the very early days? Because they, you know, they have such tiny tummies. Um, I think I remember recording on an app, and I think I fed Amandine something like seventeen times in twenty-four hours one day. Which, you know, when their tummies are tiny, it's not abnormal. But do you have do do you have any knowledge on? Well, I know you do, but knowledge on that. Um. Well, we actually do quite a good visual aid in our classes. We do this sort of 24-hour clock, and we fill it in, and we talk about, on average, how often does a newborn baby sleep? And we're very kind on the clock. We say that every three hours. Um, and we colour it in, and we go around, and their faces just fall a mile, and we go, yep, that's the reality. Um, and it is a bit like that. It really is. Almost every two to three hours, your newborn will probably, on average, feed. And you may find, actually... Um, I use the term the witching hour, which you're probably aware of. Um, it usually comes in around about sort of you know, the end of the afternoon um, and sort of four or five o'clock where babies, toddlers, school children age come back from school and everyone's cranky. And you may find that your newborn cluster feeds at that time. So therefore, cluster feeding is almost like snacking. So you may find between sort of 5 p.m. and 9 p.m. you feel like all you've done is feed your baby. They're sort of snacking away. Um, and that's quite normal too. Um, but as their tummies grow, um, you find that, that the gap between their sleep, sorry, their feeds will eventually grow. Um, and then you may land up with um, probably seven or eight feeds in 24, but that's down the line. Initially, it really is sort of every two, three hours. And that's been perhaps kind on some days, two hours mm. maybe. Mm. Um, so let's talk about baby massage, which I know is one of your um, areas of expertise. I we did, I think we did one or two classes with with Amandine, um, and then I you know did a little bit just by myself. What are the benefits of baby massage? Well, one is it's it's hugely bonding, um, and if we think about um, being a mum at home, if you're the primary caregiver everything you do for your baby is attending to your baby's needs. So this is a wonderful thing that you can both enjoy um, and do something sort of which has huge benefit in terms of it really taps in and stimulates their major, their major systems such as their coordination, um, respiration, digestion. Um, it's fantastic for, as I said before, bonding. It can aid relaxation for you and for baby because you're there settled together we always encourage it to be baby-led. So if your baby's too tired or is not really in the mood, then you know you just back off. Mm. But apart from that, it's a wonderful thing. We're all designed to be touched. So it's a wonderful thing that you can do together. So it's one of the sort of first activities that as a new parent you would do with your baby, probably if you're going out to do little, um, you know, little workshops. Um, and so baby massage also brings with a little social aspect for mum as well. And the ones that we've run, and I know that our mums do in the community, you know, you often have a coffee, you chat to other mums, you can swap notes on what your baby's doing, you know, and and you get some tips from other mothers, and it just can be really calming. 
Um, and also, we often say for postnatal moms, if you're someone who's suffering from postnatal depression, again, it can really help with bonding because you're you know, you're you're using a sort of massage grade oil, and you're you know you're doing a light touch over your baby's let's say legs, and it can release oxytocin, which we know is a hormone of love. Mm-hmm. Um, it calms everything down, and it's great also if you've got a a bit of a windy baby or a baby that's suffering from you know got is teething. Again, you've got some little um little sort of teething um, strokes you can do or strokes for, which are specifically designed for relieving gas or air or colic. So it's just a wonderfully bonding thing. Mm, absolutely. You've just reminded me. I remember why we did another baby massage session because the first one I arrived and Amandine fell straight asleep. So <laughs> I literally think I got like one foot stroke in before she fell asleep and then I couldn't do any more. <laughs> exactly because you're not really supposed because it's supposed to be a sort of a two-way process so yeah uh, it's quite I mean you can do sort of intensive courses but it's quite nice to divide the body over um a four-week period say mm-hmm. um, because some babies as much as we love touch some babies are a bit touch adverse initially and they get a bit overwhelmed by being in an environment perhaps where there's other babies around who might be crying or having their their baby grow taken off um you know they might find it a little bit overwhelming so we tend to start with the legs, which is the biggest organ of a baby's body um, and less sensitive. And then we, we encourage mums or dads to go away and practice um, mm. in the week. So you can integrate it perhaps after bath, but perhaps your baby's a bit more cranky then. So perhaps it's something you do in the morning and get your baby used to the whole concept of touch and massage. And then you meet again for the following week and you do another part of the body and then you build. So over a period of time, you've got this lovely body you know, massage which you can do um, whenever you choose to, really. Absolutely. God, I'd really like a massage now, hearing you talk about that. I think one of the things that I miss a lot was I had some lovely pregnancy massages when I was pregnant with Amandine, and of course I haven't been able to have any with this one, and I'm really missing them. So sad, I know, I know. Hopefully, hopefully one day soon. <laughs> oh, someday soon I'll just have to sneak out and have them after <laughs> baby's born and Hendrick can deal with the kids. Oh, <laughs> that would be nice. You mentioned briefly um, about, you know, meeting up for during these sessions and sharing tips with mums and, you know, what your baby's doing, what your other babies, do, what, what you know, what their baby's doing. And I think now's a really good time to flag that, that actually, yes, sharing tips can be wonderful and it can make you feel at ease, but it can also go the opposite way, can't it? Because you can be thinking, oh, am I not doing that right? Am I not doing enough? And it can actually, I found sometimes that someone would be sharing something with me and it would almost make me more anxious. Yeah, so true. And I always laugh and say that parenting, it can be very competitive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it really can. Yeah. And um, I think it's really hard sometimes to sort of, you know, to to stand back from that mm. but I think you know if you're chatting with an environment um and you feel safe and people are just swapping swapping tips yeah absolutely just try not to take everything that everyone says as a sort of as as the way it should be everyone's mm. baby's different everyone's experience is different um you'll get you're a different parent to them and I know it's hard to sift through that when you're overtired and you're just looking for answers but you know, it is important just to stand back sometimes and try not to compare too much mm. and to take people me what people say at face value. And if it makes sense and resonates, and again, this is really hard, sometimes to trust your instinct. But often if you can listen to your instinct on things or your gut, 
because after all, you're the one who knows your baby the best. Mm. Um, if something feels right, then go with it. If a piece of advice feels wrong, um, just try and sort of sift through it and, mm. and you know, do what's, what feels right for you. I know it's easier said than done, but, you know, we, you're going to be bombarded with advice from friends, um, family, you know, other mums, other people in the community. And sometimes we just have to put our sifting hat on and, and you know, ignore what doesn't feel right. Yeah. And I'm sure you know this more, probably more than most having five, five children, but it really is true, isn't it? That every single newborn and then through to baby, through to toddler, through to, you know, teenager, every single baby is always different and always going through different things. I mean, were all of your five very different or were there, were the twins the same? Oh, so different. They, mm. I mean, they, you know, they, there's always that debate, isn't it? Is it, um, you know, nature, nurture? It's probably 50% of each, quite frankly. They're born with their little characters. Mm. And yes, however they're brought up will will sort of add to that. But uh, they've all been different. Um, and I've had good, better sleepers, easier sleepers, mm. harder sleepers. And they're, every, they're, they're also different. And the other thing is to bear in mind, whatever phase you're going through, it is just a phase. Mm. The newborn bit, the toddler bit. I've got teenagers and actually my older sons are now in their early 20s and it is still a phase. I'm still trying to work out how to, you know, to handle, you know, young men that age, you know, mm-hmm. and um, it's really hard sometimes and some phases you get on better than others, but it will, this too shall pass, you know, yeah. it's really hard to remember that in the sort of when you're in the midst of perhaps a phase that you're not enjoying so much and you don't quite know how to, you know, you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, but yeah. it does pass. Yeah. It does. And I try and remember that when I'm, you know, getting tetchy with Amandine or she's really, you know, testing my patience, thinking, well, I'm in my early 30s and I'm still going through phases and trying to figure out, you know, life. So she must be, you know, really, really, really trying to figure out life. So of course she's going to go through phases and we're all learning. And I think we continue to learn throughout our entire lives, don't we? So Poor little toddlers and newborns, they're just starting to figure it all out. Completely. You're so right. It's a, it's a life journey, really. Mm, Parent is, you know, is a life, it's a lifelong journey, um, you know, with all the highs and the lows. <laughs> Absolutely. And that leads me into my very last question for you, um, one of which I am really keen to know any advice is how do you do it when you already have a toddler how do you have a newborn when you already have a toddler who has their routines who has had mummy and daddy with them for the you know the last two years in Amandine's case two and a half years will be almost three um how how do you juggle everything <laughs> well it's another it's the that's the that's the next phase you're going to go through I know. It? <laughs> yeah, it comes um I would say again, it's it's a trans it's a transition because mm. you're going from a family of you know of three or one child to a, to a fourth member of your family, and it's a transition for all of you. Um, I think it's important if you can um, to keep the you know your eldest child's routine going as much as is possible. So this is where you may need you know an extra pair of hands. I know obviously in COVID it's a bit difficult, but perhaps mm. your partner's there, um, and you probably find as a second time parent you are a bit more relaxed and that the baby will sort of slip in, I say behind, almost in behind a bit. Do you know, do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. But, um, the routine that you have for your eldest one, the younger one will just sort of 
come in behind and settle um, more quickly or it feels more quickly or more easily because you're caught up with your elder one. Mm. Uh, so the transition is sort of different in a way. I don't, I'm sort of don't make, not making much sense probably, but no, you um, are. does that make sense to a little bit? It does. I mean, I can't really imagine, you know, how to go about feeding this little one whilst Amandine's playing and if she needs me and you know all I'm thinking is that I just try to explain to Amandine that I need to feed just like I fed her I mean is that is that kind of the right tack I mean I have no idea absolutely it is that it is that it is that and um you know your feed times of course will will clash with Amandine's playtime and she'll she'll want you and the baby um will want you at both at the same time and you sometimes have to juggle juggle both and sometimes you can't always attend to both your children's needs at exactly the same time. Sometimes the baby may have to cry for a few minutes or sometimes Amandine may just have to wait. And just that's okay. That's mm. life after all, isn't it, in a way? It is, it, it is. is. You know, and it, it does feel a bit strange sometimes. And again, this is back to sort of the guilt, oh my God, my baby cried for a few minutes. But maybe your baby will have to cry just for a few minutes, somewhere safe, just while you attend to Amandine, and then you come back to your baby. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just getting used to that juggling act. And yes, as I say, getting more help if you need it. Um, and yeah, some days will feel a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I fear most will. <laughs> yeah, we were hoping that maybe Amandine would have, you know, one or two mornings at nursery by the time baby comes. But I think because of COVID, we haven't started her at nursery yet. And, and I, don't, I don't think now is the time to put any extra pressure on nursery. So um, we're not going to do it just yet. Um, so it will be, it will be a big old juggle. <laughs> but, well, she'll, she'll think, she'll see her, her little baby, you said bro, boy, your little baby brother as a real life dolly. And yes. she'll join in and you can encourage her to come and sort of help and, you know, and you can do things together. Maybe encourage her to join in with you a bit more and sort of say, come on, we need to go feed baby now or change baby's nappy. And she'll quite enjoy, you know, participating. Yes. I think that's the thing is to make them feel part of it. Yeah. Um, because their life will change and suddenly having been in the apple of their parents' eye, you know, which they will continue to be, but there's another whole human which has come in and is taking some of mum's and dad's attention. Mm. Uh, so it's quite nice to sort of try and make that integration as smooth as possible. And some parents I know do choose to have like buy little presents up front, which they say is from the baby to the to the elder sibling. Mm. So baby bought you and to really, you know, encourage them to hold the baby. Obviously somewhere safe with you there, but to really facilitate their bonding process as well. So mm. they don't perhaps feel slightly sidelined. Mm. Yes, that's definitely a, a good tack. Make her my little helper. <laughs> yeah, make her a little helper as much as she wants to be. And if she does it, then so be it. You know? So be it, exactly. Thank you so, so much for all of your knowledge and your advice and your expertise and, of course, your personal experience in sharing that today. I really appreciate it. So, of course, you um, are co-founder of Bundle London and you run antenatal classes and uh, some breastfeeding help and uh, postnatal support. Can you um, let people know a little bit more about that, where they can find you, um, how they can access uh, what you offer? Yes, of course. Um... So I met my um, partner, Deborah, um, working for another um, antenatal company about six years ago. We really felt that we wanted to, to set um, up a company, but really with a big emphasis on um, postnatal as well, because, of course, it's really important to, to um, get strategies on to how to 
birth your baby most optimally as possible. Mm-hmm. But actually, the work, you know, your babies are going to come, <laughs> whichever way they come, although we're going to help the process along. And we really feel that the postnatal side of things is so important. That's where the support is really invaluable. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you come to one of our courses down the line, um, antenatal courses, there's a big bias on postnatal and life of a baby. And we even work with a sleep specialist who comes and does a whole session on baby and how they sleep. Um, so that's really what we want to do. And we really want to be around for up until the baby's turn one. Um, so that was our sort of um, vision for our company. Um, so you can find us on www.bundlelondon.com. Um, and we're also on Instagram and on Facebook. Um, and um, you'll speak to Deborah when you come in. We're very old-fashioned. We are, we're very sort of service-orientated. And we have a lot of contacts in in the business, so if you're looking for a pediatrician or breastfeeding support, we have a lot of contacts. So please do come and just come and chat to us. We just love to talk. Anything to do with baby and mums and dads. <laughs> and during the COVID time, are you running any sessions on Zoom or how's that all working? Yes, all our sessions are on Zoom um, and they work just as just as well, actually. Um, I know obviously you can't get away from you know the benefits of face-to-face, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But as soon as um, we... All our Zoom quarters, which are taking place now, we promise, and we always do this, we always have a baby reunion. No. As soon as the last babies are born, we get everyone together. And we've said to all these groups, you know, as soon as we can even get you together for a coffee, we will. Um, we really encourage groups to sort of set up WhatsApp groups anyway, so at least they can talk in the meantime and go out for walks on a, you know, in, in pairs type thing. Yeah. But that's something that we really try and do. So. When things are normal, we get bring people together for coffees, and then we do um, postnatal coffees with the babies, and then we hope that people come back, as we say, and do massage, which is a wonderful thing to do. And then we find that they do baby massage, they go on to do baby yoga, and they look at us and go, "Is there anything else we can do? <laughs> is there anything else we can do with you so we can just stay? Because mm. it's a wonderful thing, you know, to do on a weekly basis." So. Um, yeah. And of course, with everything being on Zoom, you can tune in from wherever you are. You don't necessarily need to be in London, in or around London. Completely. So, yeah, absolutely. We've had people from all over London. And actually, we've had some people from America and actually ah. even some from Spain and someone from Eastern Europe. I can't remember the country, but yes, Lakia. Um, so, yeah. Wow. We can go global. <laughs> you sure can. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much, Amanda, for coming on and chatting um, to me. I really, really appreciate it. I am sure uh, the listeners listening in have learned so much and or been reminded. I mean, I have been reminded of so many things, um, which is really great. You put you off. Yeah. Well, there's no going back, is there? <laughs> No going back. Um, and it's been wonderful to talk to you. Um, I wish you all the best with your second um, pregnancy. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank, well. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And a big thank you to our friends at Cheeky Wipes, Nourish, and Mums the Word Book for being part of today's podcast. I will catch up with you all next week. Have a lovely week and please do leave a review, subscribe and rate. It really helps other mums to find the series and be supported by our wonderful community. Just before we go, I'd like to introduce you to the hilariously funny and brutally honest parenting book, Mums the Word. Written by Rebecca Oxtoby, the five-star rated book has topped the Amazon best-selling charts for childcare. It exposes the unfiltered truth behind life as a mama and will have you crying with laughter. What better way to spend lockdown? 
It's available now on Amazon. Just search Mums the Word book and don't forget to follow at Book Mums the Word on Instagram. Her second book is released in May and I simply can't wait.